Thanks. Thank you so much. Good morning. So good to be with you. My wife Beth is here and sitting with Tia. We're so proud of Pastor Paul and Tia and the amazing work they're doing to make Golfside Church such an effective, fruitful ministry. We're so proud of them and all of those who support them. See some friends from Muncie here. Could have sat on the front row. We were going to give a new car away to someone sitting in this front row right here today. No one qualified. Maybe next time. Yeah. It's a nice car, too. Too bad. Yeah. It's, uh, it's real, really great to be with you. And, you know, planning a church is hard. It's hard work. And it's not easy. If, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. You know that old adage? And so you either have to go all in with everything you've got all the time, or it's probably not going to work. And so I just admire Paul and Tia and their investment and sacrifice, and I know you do as well. So proud of them. Yeah, good job. Way to go. This morning, I want to uh, remind you uh, what a spirit-filled church looks like. You ever heard the term spirit-filled, a spirit-filled church? I wonder what that means. You know, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the story of Jesus. We know his birth and his life and his ministry, his passion, resurrection. It's the story of Jesus. Good news. Get the Gospels. Right after the Gospels in the New Testament, we find the book of Acts. When you read the book of Acts... You may be tempted to think that it's just uh, an historical document that is like going to a museum. You know, you kind of look through this window, protective glass, and you, you're looking at a little tin cup, you know, from which Abraham Lincoln drank as a child. And we go, whoa, Abraham Lincoln drank from that. We might be tempted to read the book of Acts and think, well, that happened many years ago, but it's not really pertinent, relevant. But that would be a mistake, because the book of Acts, you may not be aware of this, does not have a formal closing. All of the New Testament letters, for example, that the Apostle Paul wrote, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and so forth, they have a formal salutation at the beginning and a formal closing, sincerely yours, at the end. But the book of Acts has no formal closing. Wonder why that is. Wonder why. How about, how, about we're still living, how about we're still living in the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and, and that we're living out Acts chapter 29. There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Now we're Acts 29. And we should expect to be part of a move of God in our time. So what does it mean to be a spirit-filled church, follower of Jesus that's spirit-filled? Uh, I'm sure that 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 has a long answer to it, but I want to just give you a few, few brief points this morning that might encourage and inspire your faith. Let me just mention first that, uh, and I hope this doesn't come as a great shock to you, I, I do not like country music. I'm sorry. It's nothing personal, and I, and, and I realize I'm in a room right now with, my, with intellectual and cultural superiors to me, so this is, I'm not looking down on anybody because I don't, I think it's an acquired taste. Country music, you just kind of got to grow on you, that sort of thing. I like, I like music. I, I grew up in an age with good old rock and roll, 
You know, so it was, it was the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and ABBA, you know, groups like that. That's back in my day. And I like jazz. I like a little bluegrass once in a while. I, I love classical music. I, uh, for example, I love Mozart. It's been, it's been scientifically proven, by the way, that if you listen to Mozart, your IQ goes up several points for a short period of time. That is a fact. If I was still matriculating at the university, this is what I'd do. I'd study for the test, then I'd listen to Mozart, and then run and take the test right then. Because for several minutes after you listen to Mozart, your IQ goes up four or five points. Isn't that fascinating? That's just so interesting. So I love that. Now, I'm not against all country music uh, Artists, for example, uh, Shania Twain comes to mind, Faith Hill. I, I l- love those girls. Uh, it has nothing to do with their music, but, it, but I really <laughs> admire them greatly. Mm-hmm. You know, if Willie, if Willie Nelson sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, it would sound country. All right? I mean, you just can't get away from it. If the London Philharmonic tried to do the Red River Valley, it would sound symphonic. Um, and, so, and so it's really about style, isn't it? So when you ask the question about preference and about style versus essence and substance and core and foundational, what is the essence What is the core? What are the foundations of a spirit-filled church? I don't think it has anything to do with style, the style of music you play, or the environment you create to worship, or the the dress code, or, or any of those exterior things. I think there are more significant issues at work when we think about a spirit-filled church. Let me just mention a few of those this morning. I hope it's meaningful to you. The first thing I want to mention is that the church is supernatural in origin and function. Now, I want you to think about this. In the book of Acts, back to our our reference to Acts, in chapter 2, this is the day of Pentecost. And this is a day when when the church is birthed into the world. The Spirit of God falls on 120 men and women in an upper room in Jerusalem. And all kinds of pyrotechnics and dynamic things, dramatic things are happening there supernatural things. So the church is birthed in the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And it's, it's very important to remember that because you're not smart enough, I'm not smart enough, we're not clever enough, resourceful enough, strong enough to actually do church in an authentic way unless God helps us, unless the power of God is present, unless we receive of his grace in our lives. And so, and so we, we, we have to keep our focus on that. Um, Peter and John uh, performed a miracle one day under this power of the Holy Spirit. This is in Acts chapter 3, the next chapter over. And they got in trouble, caused a big stir, healed this guy. Uh, everybody was up, up in arms about it. The Sanhedrin called Peter and John before them. The Sanhedrin were the smarty pants of the day. You know, they're the highest educated people. They're the theologians. They're the ones who think lofty thoughts and talk about the God stuff. And so they're trying to protect their religious territory. And here's Peter and John. And they get him before them, and they're not impressed. 
They're not impressed with Peter and John at all. And so they scold them. They sternly warn them. And knock this stuff off. No more of this behavior. You guys are a bunch of ignorant fishermen and, and don't trifle with us. And so we actually read in the text there in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 3 that they said they saw what they, that they were ignorant and unlearned. So they call Peter and, Peter and John ignorant and unlearned. And that they noted that they'd been with Jesus. Now, with that in mind, think about this for a minute. These are, the, these are the most educated people in the culture. These are the religious leaders. They're the ones who have the most power within the Jewish context. And they're calling Peter and John ignorant and unlearned. But let me just remind you, between Peter and John, they wrote First and Second Peter, First and Second and Third John of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, and the Book of Revelation. How about give us a baptism of that kind of ignorance, right? Now, what separated these guys who were highly trained and those guys who were just under the inspiration of the power of God? What separated them was just that, the supernatural expression and experience of the work of God's Spirit among them. And so we must always keep in mind, if we're going to be a Spirit-filled church, then we, then we have to stay in touch with the Spirit of God and His presence and power. Amen? It's very important. So the church is above all else a supernatural instrument and invention of God that runs on supernatural power. Here's the second thing. Furthermore, the spirit-filled and authentic spirit-filled church is filled with the spirit and God's presence and power, and it's also a community that is divine, defined by love. Defined by love. Now, before you just let that pass by you, thinking, well, that's, that sounds like church talk. You know, that's preachy talk. We love everybody. Stop and think about this for a moment. There are some identifying reference points for us in the church. For example, to get our perspective. For example, how about this? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. What do we mean by that? We mean that we believe Jesus is the pre-existent, co-eternal word of God who became flesh, put on an earth suit, came to the earth on mission his mission was to live a sinless life, becoming the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, and then he offered his life as that perfect sacrifice, once and for all satisfying the penalty of sin, so that we can be liberated from our sin and made right with God and destined for an eternal future with him. Jesus came on mission, and he fulfilled his mission. Praise God. So, so as it turns out, it's all about him. It's all about him. This whole business about the church is about him. The whole business about our community, our relationships, that's about him. The whole point of our work and our effort and our sacrifice and our giving and our going, it's all about him. Our focus is on Jesus. Jesus is Lord. The Bible says that there is a day future that is coming when everyone who has ever lived will be assembled and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So we believe Jesus is Lord. That's where it starts, all about him. The other reference point that's helpful to us is that we have to know where to hang our hat with regard to what we believe. What is our faith based on? Because you've got to hang it somewhere. I mean, you've got to just like drive a peg there and hang on to that. This is my reference point. This is my anchor. 
And the anchor for Christian people is a worldview based on the scripture. So the Bible, the scripture, becomes our first and then final reference point, final authority for what we believe and how we live, the faith we embrace and the ethics that we practice in our lives. There are all kinds of questions in the world. And for 2,000 years now, there have been millions of questions. Today, we have current questions that divide us and confuse us in the world. Issues about race and gender and, and sexual, human sexuality and definition of marriage and all kinds of these questions that come up. And so as Christian people who want to live with a biblical worldview, what is our reference point? What is our authority? Where do we hang our hat? We hang it on the scripture. It becomes our first reference and our final reference, and not the only reference. We can, ask, we can ask the question from tradition. What has the church said about these subjects for the last 2,000 years? What are the brightest followers of Jesus in history? What do they have to say about these things? What is tradition? We can reference that. We can, we can, we can reference our own reason. You know, We're, God gave us a brain so we can use them to think, and we can reference our own experience. But all of those are secondary and tertiary to the primary, first and foremost, first and final authority is the scripture. That's the reference point. And that's what we want. We want to have a biblical worldview. The, 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 the third piece is this. Jesus is Lord. The Bible is our authority. And the third piece is the point that I'm trying to make right now, which is love is our highest aim. So we have all kinds of things dividing us today. Gender, race, age, name the, name the subject. We have all kinds of things that drives a wedge between people in our culture today. So what's the default? How do you respond to people who are different? How do you respond to people who disagree? How do you respond to people who you don't like? How do you respond to people who are hard to deal with? Just love people. Just love people. It's the highest value. It's the greatest aim. It's, it's, hard, it's the hardest work. You know, there, some people are easy to love. My wife is easy to love. Some people are hard to love, like me. <laughs> I know this because I've seen, I've seen it happen. And so, so I have this, this contrast. And some people are just hard to love. There's actually a family that lives like two blocks from our church back in Muncie, Indiana. They have a sign in their front yard. I drive by this occasion. It's fascinating to me. And the sign says, no trespassing. You're not welcome. And then it says on this sign, it's, it's, it's been painted and stuck in the ground right out at the edge of the road on their front yard. And then it says, this means you. And they named the names of the neighbors. Apparently, these are folks who are hard to love. That's sad, isn't it? But see, in the context of the church, we have a default. We have a, we have a fallback. We know exactly what to do. When in doubt, when confused, when, when, we're, when we feel awkward, when we're uncomfortable, when we're not sure, just love people. Just love people. Now, you have to have discernment and wisdom to know how best to love people. Some folks need, you know, tougher love than other people. So you have to find the best way to love the people that, are, that God puts you in community with. But a spirit-filled church is a church that's going to love people. Jesus, 
Jesus came up on a, on, a, on a crowd of people one day, and there was a woman in the middle of this crowd of people, and she was down on the ground, and she was shaking. And she was, she was very, very broken. And all this crowd of people around this woman were holding stones. Jesus walks up and says, hey, what's going on? Someone in the crowd said, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. She's guilty. We caught her. It's interesting to note that the text does not include the man in the story. Where's the guy? Because she wasn't committing adultery by herself. There's a, there's a man in here somewhere, but he's not, he's not present. And so here's this woman. And the law is pretty explicitly clear. A person caught in adultery like this should be put to death. Very strong, very serious. And so all these folks have these stones, these rocks ready to pummel this woman to death. It's horrible. And Jesus, the Bible says, uh, kneels down to the ground and he starts kind of doodling in the dirt. We don't know if he was just making scratches or he was actually spelling something out. We We don't know. But he was just there for a few moments, people just watching him. And then he stood up and he said, hey, I've got a great idea. You know, we all know what the law says. So let's, let's do it this way. Let the one who is among us in the crowd here, who is without sin, never made a mistake, never said an unkind word, never had an impure thought, never stepped over the line, never broke any rule. Let the one who's without sin, you cast the first stone. And then a fascinating, fascinating response. The Bible says, beginning with the eldest, the oldest person in the crowd, dropped a rock. They didn't say this, of course, but you can hear what they're saying. Well, I'm out. And then... Down to the youngest one. Who knows? Maybe a teenager standing there with a rock. Dang it. Because everybody's out. Everybody's disqualified. Because everybody has failed. Everyone has faults. Everyone is a sinner. Jesus looks at this woman, and he doesn't use these words, but this is what he implies. He says to her, Do you see any condemnation in my eyes? Do you feel any judgment in my heart toward you? She said, no. Neither do I condemn you, he said. Go and sin no more. Now listen to me. It is the power of love, authentic love, spoken with authority that can set the world free. It is the most powerful force in the world. And the church should be the place where people can experience that unconditional love. No matter what, our default is love one another. Love one another unconditionally. We love, we accept, we forgive. That's who we are. That's what we do because that's the spirit of Jesus. And I say it again, it is that spirit that can liberate the world from its pain and its wounds. So a spirit-filled church, an authentic church, is a community of love. 
Otherwise, we can be counterfeit, can't we? We can be something else. I mean, we can get our nonprofit status and sponsor a little league team, but we really can't be the church, can we? Without that. Heard this story, it's kind of funny. Maybe some of you will find it funny. Uh, this is back in the Great Depression era, 1930, United States, and a man was down on his luck, and he really was desperate for a job, and a traveling circus was coming through his town, and so he just said he was desperate, so he went to the manager of the circus and asked for a job, and the manager said, well, you know, I do have an opening. He said, we've had a gorilla as part of the act, and he died, but we have a gorilla suit, and if you're willing to wear this gorilla suit, be a gorilla in the this, in this, in this circus act, you know, you can have this job, and it pays pretty well. And the guy said, ah, boy, I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. And he's, he was desperate, so he took the job, and he quickly realized he loved the job because, because he'd put the suit on, and people throw bananas at him, and he'd bang against the, you know, the bars of this, this, <laughs> this cage, and he got into it. He was, he, he was thrilled about it. He learned... Then if he got, uh, suspended a rope, that he could swing on a rope out over the lion cage and torment the lion. And no matter how high the lion jumped to try to get him, he, he measured it carefully. And, he just, and the people loved it. They went crazy and went wild. And one day he said, oh, I can up this game. He said, I, what I, can, I could roll up a newspaper, swing it on a rope, and swat the lion on the nose. And he said, the people will go, they'll love this. And so the night, first night, he rolls up the paper, he swings out, lets go of the rope with one hand to swing the newspaper, but he can't support his own weight. And so he falls off into the lion cage. And the lion immediately jumps on this guy in the gorilla suit and puts paws on both of his shoulders and leans down in his face and starts growling ferociously. And the man inside the gorilla suit, he starts screaming, help, somebody help me, please help me, save me, help me. And then at that point, the lion leans down and goes, shh, be quiet, fool. You're going to get us both fired. <laughs> it's a long way to go for that right there. Just have to go all the way sometimes. Yeah. And here's the point. See him make a point out of that. If we're not authentic, if we're not authentic in our love, we're just monkey suit religion, right? Dress up like Christians, go to church, play church, pretend to be something we're not. The authentic church, the authentic spirit-filled church is a community of authentic love. Here's the last point I want to make, and it's uh, one that I hope that you'll you'll experience and, and receive carefully. The authentic church lives with great expectation. Great expectation. Back to that miracle with Peter and John that they got in trouble with the Sanhedrin about. This was at the Gate Beautiful. This is Acts chapter 3, and they are going to the temple to, at the hour of prayer. And these two guys are full of the Holy Spirit. And they get to the gate beautiful, and there's a beggar. This guy has been crippled from birth. So you can imagine the atrophy that exists in his legs and his, his limbs. 
his, his, his friends or parents drag him to this place. He's 38 years old, I think. And, and he's, he's never walked. And so he begs to stay alive. And Peter and John meet him there as they're going in for prayer. And the man is begging. And these guys, Peter and John, they look at this, this crippled man and they say this, they say this phrase. Now, now catch this. They said, look at us. Look at us. You know, make eye contact with us. Now, why would they say that? What's behind that? We don't know for sure in the text why they have made that command, first, first thing. Perhaps, as we might speculate, maybe they're saying, look at us, we, we are men of faith, and if you will notice us, maybe it will increase your faith so that you might receive a miracle from God. Or maybe Peter looks at this guy and says, look at me, look at me. Maybe Peter's saying is, you think you're crippled. You should have seen my life before Jesus got a hold of me. You should have seen my worthless, purposeless, fruitless life. I, you know, I'm struggling along. I go to work every day. I try to catch some fish. I try to raise my family. I try to do the best I can. But my life is void of meaning, of significance, of purpose. And in fact, I started following this Jesus fellow. And when they finally arrest and are crucifying him, I am hidden in a cowardly way so that I won't be caught hurt as well. So you think you're crippled. I'm crippled. You think you've got it bad. You should live inside of my life. Maybe that's implied. Or maybe Peter and John said to this crippled man, look at us. Being aware that now that they are part of a spirit-filled church, a spirit-filled movement, a community of love, acceptance, and forgiveness, that they now embody the hope that the whole world needs. Maybe they realize that they now contain in their lives and in their persons the spirit of Jesus Christ and the hope of the world. So that they say to this man, look at us. And then one of them says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And suddenly strength, virtue, fills this man's body. It has, to, it has to morph in some miraculous way. I mean, just transcending physical laws so that sinew and tendon and muscle bone begin to strengthen and grow in some substantial way. And in just a few moments, this guy gets up. He's never walked in his life, you understand. And he gets up and he begins to walk. The Bible says he went walking and then leaping and praising God. How many of you know that you might be inclined to give God thanks under circumstances like that? So he's going crazy. He's happy. He has been healed. How do you create a miracle like that? I want to submit to you it's great expectation. Great expectation. For the most part, Christians in America and the Western cultures, for the most part, we, we pray puny prayers. Little bitty puny weak, weakling prayers. Little, I've never really walked in my life kind of prayers. I really can't get up and move around on my own. I have to be taken because we pray little puny prayers. 
Have you ever tried to put yourself in God's place? All, I, it's impossible. I get it. Almighty God. Just imagine this for a moment. And you're, you're called Almighty God for a reason. You're the Almighty. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's so big. He's so grand. He's so great. He's so powerful. He's so strong. It's incomprehensible. I mean, we can't get our minds around it. He's big. This God we serve, he's big. He's bigger than big. He's enormous. He's, he's out there. And he, he's waiting to hear your prayers. Lord, here we are down in Cape Coral, Florida. Maybe you know where that is. We have a church called Golfside. Lord, we don't have much. We're pretty new. We're like a little baby. We don't have our own building or anything like that. We have some banners. If you could help us, please help us. Now, if you're Almighty God, how are you going to respond to that prayer? I'm thinking God's going, what's the matter with you? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I can do? Do do you have any notion of how willing and able I am to do something extraordinary in and through your lives? Come on, let's, let's pick it up. See, the Bible says that the eyes of God are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for what? Faithful people, faith-filled people, people of high expectation, people who believe God for great things and grand things. One of the reasons that that the church wobbles so much in, in America right now is because we have too many leaders who aren't willing to take big risks and live by faith. Let me tell you why Golfside exists. It's because I and the people that are from Muncie, Indiana, we prayed big prayers. I said, God, do, do something big. Do something bigger. Do something bigger. You're a big God. Do something big. Golf side ex- church exists because we prayed big prayers. And we've been praying them for a long time. So pray big prayers. See, the spirit-filled church is a church with high expectations. God is among us. We sense his power and his presence. We, we, we've, we create a culture of love and acceptance and forgiveness. This is the hope of the world. This is the answer to everyone's longing to be connected in, to something that's so meaningful and so rich and so full. This is the answer to the world's needs. This is the good news and hope found in Jesus Christ. And so let's just raise our expectation and expect him to do big and wonderful and grand things for his name's sake through our lives. So here we are. This next week, I'm going to meet with two more church planters. And we're going to plant a church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're going to plant another church in Casper, Wyoming. Because this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. We have high expectations. If I had, if I had $50 for every time a Christian person said to me, you can't do that. that. That's not possible. You can't do that here. That, we've never done that before. 
you, wh 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 what are you thinking? You're not from around here, are you? You don't understand what the limitations are. Blah, 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 blah. And Almighty God, Almighty God, emphasis on the Almighty, yeah. is waiting for someone to expect great things from him. And he's waiting to fully support someone who wants to go all out for his sake. It's good preaching. Isn't it good preaching? It's really good preaching. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm encouraging myself. This is really good. I hope if you're getting something, that's icing on the cake. Well, there's a lot we can say about what an authentic, spirit-filled church is, but there's a few things we know for sure. It's supernatural. Rel relies on God's presence and power because we don't have what it takes to do this. We also know it's a community of authentic love where acceptance and forgiveness is the default. Just love people. Wouldn't it be great to continue to be known? Well, that's, oh, that's that church that just loves everybody. There you go. You're, you're ringing the bell if you do that. And finally, we're authentic when we really place confident hope and trust, raising our expectations to the levels that God will honor and bless in powerful ways, miraculous ways. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we give you thanks. We give you praise for your word. We thank you for this wonderful expression in the early church in the book of Acts. So beyond the issues of style and other things that tend to separate us, we pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit will rest on us for the love and power and ministry to come upon us and through us in the presence of Christ. For that, we need you. We long for you. And the people around us are longing to see you in us. The world waits. We're not bright enough, smart enough, gifted enough, not enough of anything to do this well. So come, Holy Spirit. Anoint us, fill us, use us. Baptize us in love. Cleanse us. Fill us. Fill us with your power. Awaken us. Awaken your gifts in us. Any way you choose, anyhow, God. We don't want to sleep through the most amazing events in history. Whatever you did in the book of Acts, do through us. We don't have to understand it all. We just want in on it. Help us to be the authentic, spirit-filled church. In Jesus' name, for his sake, and all the people said,